Welcome, this is Coppercast, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment in crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon. Our guest today is Hugo Fillion, a co-founder and CEO of Flare Networks. Flare Networks shot to fame earlier this year with a dedicated following hotly anticipating the token generation event. Hugo will tell us more about what makes Flare Networks special in a bit, but first, a little about the man himself. Hugo is a Londoner through and through. He studied risk and financial maths at Cass Business School before going to work at hedge funds. First as an analyst and later a portfolio manager specializing in commodities. When the industry took a hit in 2012, he went back to university to study machine learning at UCL. It was there that he met Sean Rowan, who would become his co-founder, alongside Nairi Usher, their chief scientist and in-house quantum physicist. So Hugo, thank you for joining us, first of all. My pleasure. It would be really helpful if you could just give us an overview of Flare Networks and where it came from, where the idea was born, uh, and how you've, you've come to bring it to where it is today already. Perfect. So Flare is the first Turing Complete Federated Byzantine Agreement Network. I'll try and break that down a little bit. Please. Uh, <laughs> Turing Complete is smart contracts, as you know them from Ethereum. Um, so lots, there, there are different definitions of smart contracts. Uh, Ethereum's version is allows you to do more or less any arbitrary computation. Uh, other definitions of smart contracts are much more limited. So that's the Turing complete bit. You can you can program anything uh, within reason. Federated Byzantine Agreement is a class of algorithms as to how to come to consensus. Specifically, it's a particular way to deal with something called the Sybil attack, which is where you don't know really who is behind each validator in your network. Uh, that's Federated Byzantine Agreement. It was pioneered by Stellar, but Stellar's version uh, isn't itself Turing complete, so it can't run Ethereum virtual machine style smart contracts. Uh, before Stellar, uh, Ripple kind of pioneered a, 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 a forerunner to that. Okay, and so what is the use case then for Flare sitting on top so of that? So one of the interesting things about having a scalable network, scalable smart contract network that doesn't uh, use stake to secure the network because it is uh, federated by Xantine Agreement is that you can use that native token for something interesting. Uh, and what our aim at Flare is, is to give the 65% of the value that exists in the public blockchain space that currently cannot access smart contracts a trustless way of doing that. And the trustless element's really important there. Uh, there are bridges, um, which use sort of K of N signature schemes. Uh, that is uh, essentially a, a multi-signature account whereby you have N parties uh, and you agree that if K of N um, uh, approve a transaction, then that transaction uh, you know, is valid. Um, there's, there are various types of bridges that use that kind of scheme. We see those as custodial, uh, except that they tend to be custodial without having registered uh, with any money service company um, or, or regulator. Uh, so we, we sort of look askance at those bridges. Uh, and then uh, there are wrapped versions issued by custodians. Uh, again, somewhat against the uh, ethos, really, of our industry uh, and, and a little bit sort of uh, 
tentative. Uh, what we're trying to do is create a generic protocol that allows the issuance trustlessly of the value from another network onto Flare. We have two key innovations, but the use case is that, and that's enabled through our token and through something we call the state connector. So has there been any, can you give me an example of, of how that's going to be used, um, whether there's a pilot project right in place or if... Sure. You know, if you anticipate a, a use, like a, yeah. a real-world example of that. So on Flare, we've announced that we are integrating currently XRP, Litecoin, Doge, and Stellar, XLM. Uh, and already on Flare, on the Flare testnet, uh, it's building a, a DeFi application called Flare Finance. And they are building, uh, like like most, like the basis of most DeFi applications, they're building a um, an AMM, uh, an automated market maker with a with a curve like pioneered by Uniswap. Um, and so the immediate application would be the the market making of what we call F assets, which is F XRP, the Flare representation of XRP, F Doge, FLTC, etc the market making of those assets against each other such that people could come to Flare, swap their assets, and then redeem that F asset for the underlying asset on the actual chain. And so that really brings uh, a decentralized a DEX to a very large array of networks and ecosystems and, importantly, a user base. So that's, that's what Flare Finance, which is a third-party application, is building on, on the Flare. Uh, alternatively, uh, another application called Trustline is building a maker-style sty system uh, such that you could create a, a, a collateralized dollar-based, uh, dollar-pegged token, but with assets from chains that simply can't do that today. Um, so XRP, Stellar, you know, etc. And do you think that that market is predominantly an institutional market then? Or do you, do you foresee a lot more retail adoption driving the growth within Flare? Uh, I hope it's both. Mm -hmm. um, to me, institutions are fantastic, uh, you know, and are obviously adopting this space quickly. Um, but this is about decentralization. This is decentralized finance for a reason. Uh, if it's not available to retail, then there's very little point of doing it as institutions are already capable of accessing any type of finance that they wish to access. Do, do you think we have some work to do as an industry then? Um, for on the retail side, I suppose, especially when you think how many people, you know, in, in, our, in our society don't even understand what's going into their pension and we're building products in the DeFi space that are complicated. And Absolutely. there's risk as well. So, I mean... How do you so, view that within Flare? So one of the reasons we've looked and thought about the use case that we have, which is there's this pool of value that already exists in blockchain that is unutilized or mm. underutilized. Uh, and one of the reasons we chose that as our use case uh, was to your question. Most people don't really you know, get this and it's going to take a hell of a long time for them to get it. And frankly, someone else is probably going to do it for them. Hmm. But you have already this user base that have decided actively themselves to go and buy Litecoin, 
stellar, you know, XRP. And so we feel that they can be educated and that they, you know, by virtue of owning these things, they've already self-selected. So that's our market. Uh, we hope that it will be more broadly used, but we choose that market first. I mean, there's been some quite um, high profile celebrity status people who have, you know, sort of given their endorsement recently to the space. I'm thinking Mark Cuban and I mean, obviously Elon Musk, a uh, big fan of Doge. Do, do you, these people entering the market, I mean, surely they have a positive impact on the long term growth, like do you think? I or, think they probably work to raise the profile of the whole space. I think what worries me is the effect they actually have on the price hmm. and the way that it then becomes a sugar rush. A bit like, you know, I, I think it's awesome that, you know, you have di people with diamond hands, you know, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, uh, this isn't an us versus them. This isn't us versus the man kind of space. This is us maybe taking a little bit more responsibility for our financial future. This isn't a fight, and it doesn't need to be. Um, so yeah. I, I found that the discourse has gone very much in a competitive direction, mm. uh, you know, GameStop and all this kind of stuff, and this is feeding into our, uh, our, our industry. And I worry that it, it's, it's, it's very um, surface, surface level, that... People are just seeing it and they're not really engaging because it's exciting when Elon Musk tweets something out. But it doesn't lead necessarily to a more advanced view of, of, of actually how myself as an individual with a little bit of savings can interact with DeFi. Right? It's, it's, a great, it's a great way to create a rally. I think in-house here at Copper, we we're often approached to provide like price commentary on Bitcoin whenever it hits like an all-time high. And the view we've always had is that these discussions about price are often just a distraction. I mean, the the potential of a blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, because it's popular, but otherwise it's surely got to be the, the bigger conversation that people are having. So yeah, I, I see where you're coming from that. Where's the best place for people to get started, do you think, to, to understand where they can convert however little savings they have, maybe it's a couple hundred dollars, a couple hundred quid or whatever, and put it, in, put it to work in the DeFi space? Where do you, where do you begin that journey? So I think probably the most logical place for most people is is to use a, a third party like Celsius or Nexo or BlockFi or any of the others that offer services um, in this space because those people are accessing DeFi on your behalf. And whilst they are, of course, centralized, um, they are they are participating in a decentralized system, which is one of the biggest aspects of if you give your money to a pension fund, first of all, you're forced to do that most of the time. Secondly, they're forced to buy assets that is, are deemed acceptable mm -hmm. for a pension fund. Whereas these new companies like Celsius, Nexo, etc., um, they they are engaging in our system and they engage however they like. And there's, there, there aren't particularly rules on them as to you know, how to engage. So that's up to them and that's up to the communities that invest with them. Uh, and whilst I'm sure that there will be you know, hiccups going forward, I think that's probably the best place to start. And then that allows you to 
see the returns, and then potentially, if you're interested, educate yourself further, get involved. We talked a little bit about touring and non-touring blockchains before, and the non-touring blockchains being the vast majority, 65%, I think. Building on top of the non-touring, how, how do you port that over to the touring side? How do you build on top of the existing 65% of you know, assets in the, in the public blockchain space and make them touring compatible? What, what goes into that? So ultimately, what Flare is doing is probably a little different to how that how that how there have been other uh, you know approaches to it what flare is doing is because it doesn't have a need to deploy its native asset at stake mm. it uses its native asset which is called spark three letter code flr uh, so i generally refer to it as flr uh, it uses that to lock on flare in a smart contract so you have a value locked uh, and that then allows the system to appoint people, the people that have locked that collateral can then receive the underlying asset, let's say it's XRP. Now they can receive that underlying asset from someone that wishes to have that underlying asset on Flare. And so when they receive that asset, Flare has a system called the state connector. And we can kind of talk about how that works in a minute. Um, but they receive that underlying asset on the underlying chain, so the person who's put the collateral in, and then the person who is minting what's known as FXRP in this instance uh, receives that on Flare automatically to their account. So there's no point at which you know the person that's locked the collateral is really engaging with the uh, with the person who's minting it. It's a completely sort of autonomous process. The, the network observes the transaction that's made on the underlying network. And so one of the good things about Flare is that it, it can enable this interoperability without requiring any changes of the protocol at the underlying level. So we don't ask Bitcoin to change. We're not asking XRP to change. We're not asking any of the networks to change anything technically. We simply, we no network will know we're there unless you know, they're, they're used widely on Flare and, you know, hopefully that gives an additional utility to their token. So let's go back to some of the staking then, the way, the way that you guys do it. Sounds a little different. So staking traditionally, you know, proof of stake is staking to secure the network. Uh, and that's what gives you the, the safety guarantees of a network. Uh, Flare derives those safety guarantees from federated Byzantine agreement. So we use our token as stake for a totally different reason. Uh, we use our token as stake in the same way that perhaps Maker might use Ethereum or any of those assets as, as stake to enable the issuance or transformation of an asset from, from something to something else. Uh, people might consider Flare to be what's known as a synthetic, uh, so the Flare assets to be known as synthetic assets. However, the key point to understand there is that you can't just mint uh, Flare assets, so FXRP or any of the other F, F assets. Uh, you can't just mint them ad infinitum. So technically, with, with a synthetic asset, you could mint just an unlimited amount. Uh, the agents who have parked collateral in the Flare F asset system must have received the underlying asset in order for the flare representation to be issued. So we're not creating inflation. It's not purely synthetic. Uh, and 
naturally everyone in the system is automatically hedged. And that's really important. So when you create most synthetic assets, you have what's known as a, a delta. So you, you tend to be short the asset you're creating because uh, you've parked some collateral, you're long that collateral and you're, you're short the, the asset you're creating, assuming that you sell the, the tokenized asset. Um, and and that, uh, that creates a sort of risk uh, that you know, if, if those people don't hold the asset, that they are essentially, they have that 100% of that risk there in the case that the asset moves in value. Uh, and so our, our method of dealing with that is that the people that have part of the collateral receive the underlying asset. One of the biggest hot topics right now in the space in general is uh, NFTs. Uh, and it comes up pretty much anytime we have a conversation with anyone about anything. So how, how do NFTs factor into the Flare network and, and your ability to represent them or to talk to me about NFTs. So Flare integrates the Ethereum virtual machine. So we integrate, we can do absolutely everything that Ethereum does. Um, anything that's already written on, uh, you know, for, for Ethereum uh, can be used on Flare, can be essentially copied over to Flare. Uh, and, and, and one of those is the, the NFT uh, sort of standards protocols. Uh, so we're we're really excited about NFTs. I think lots of people are. I personally am most excited about them, at least for now, in the gaming environment. Okay. Uh, I think one of the things people don't really appreciate about DeFi is that finance is an extremely wide set of things, and actually, what DeFi is most of all at the moment is. A form of decentralized market making for which people receive a return for supplying liquidity. Uh, what is, I think, interesting about NFTs is that the other bit of finance, or one of the other bits of finance, is l lending, real lending to someone to do something interesting, right? But we can't do that on a blockchain because if we lend someone tokens and they don't perform, uh, currently, we still have to go to a court uh, to, to get those tokens back if we can, if we know who they are. And that, that just doesn't work in, in, in this environment. So one of the things that potentially excites me about NFTs, you know, especially with gaming, is that to give you a, a bit of an example, I might borrow some tokens. Let's call them the Gala tokens. Uh, Gala is a, is a gaming platform that's coming to Flare. Uh, sorry for the pump. Um, it's all right, everyone does it. <laughs> yeah. So, no, actually, I love Gala. They're started by the co-founders of Zynga, and they very much share our our um, thoughts on things. Uh, but so, let's say you wish to play uh, a Gala game, uh, and one of the games that they they have, uh, Mirandus being one of them. So I buy some Gala tokens. Great. Uh, I go to use them in game. Uh, sorry, I don't buy the Gala tokens. Maybe I borrow them because they're so expensive, right? I borrow them and I, I sign a uh, I sign with my you know cryptographic signature. I agree to a smart contract uh, that's, that essentially takes possession of my NFTs if I default. Mm -hmm. And so why, what what am I doing there? I'm I'm borrowing these tokens to get into a game, to play the game, to win or generate NFTs, which have value because they're sellable on the chain. Now I win or generate. Now maybe the person loses. Maybe the person who's lent me the money loses out because I'm crap at the game, you know, or I, you know, I get unlucky, whatever. Um, and, and that's how life works. 
But ultimately, if I make a return and I don't pay, or well, it should be administered automatically that you know what some chunk is is given back to the to the lender. Uh, but ultimately, if I if I don't pay, the contract will make the NFTs or or whatever assets I have left flow back to the person who lended it, and 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 that's perhaps at the moment you know uh, a lot a lot of engineering to make that happen, uh, but that's a paradigm that interests me most about NFTs. I mean, the efficiency from that alone in the real world is huge. Well, I think so. For me, it's a way to generate income and um, generate income through games without anyone, any publisher or any game developer uh, potentially closing me down, uh, as, as, as often happens. So for me, that then becomes just another, another way for people to essentially put their, their time to use and maybe to generate some income. And I, I see very much that the, the last... One of the hallmarks of the last recoveries was Uber and Airbnb, which was simply ways for people to put their assets to work. Uh, people, many people's assets are their time and maybe their Xbox, and, and this is a way for them to derive some income from that. And hmm. that would interest me very much. Do you think there'd be big competition at some point down the road from the App Store, from Apple, doing this themselves? and then? Oh, I'm sure. You've already got gaming marketplaces. You have amongst gaming marketplaces, they're marketplaces for, you know, one game. Hmm. But what if I have an NFT that can be used in 10 different games? Or what if I wish to, you know, I get bored of one game or I become, I become you know, less efficient in a game, so I use Uniswap to switch my game tokens and then I go and start earning NFTs in a different game. Can't do that in, in centralized gaming. I can't, hmm. I can't sell my uh, Fortnite, you know, tokens to, to to get into something else mm-hmm. it's not uh it's not feasible is there a risk that because this is all part of DeFi and DeFi is part of a much bigger conversation and for the last year and a half maybe didn't have the best reputation because of some famous collapses and and unaudited projects and things like that if regulators get involved and they say anything that calls itself DeFi needs to be regulated by xyz manner or in xyz jurisdiction does that does that kill the industry or does the is the industry by by its nature by being decentralized already uh, immune to that kind of involvement so if it's actually decentralized it's immune you have a lot of defi applications or in quote marks defi applications which aren't decentralized at which point they're not immune mm. uh, but if they are genuinely decentralized then they are fairly immune. That doesn't necessarily mean that regulators shouldn't have a position. Um, it just means that they're going to have to stand aside and let people innovate uh, whilst you know, being quite cautious about how they turn, you know, turn everything off you know, it, it, We do see this big risk, this specter almost of you know, regulation. Uh, but at the same time, you've got large parts of the world that are already very happy with what's being built, or at least, you know, don't make any noises about it. And frankly, the industry will just move there. And if it's decentralized, they can't stop people accessing it. Again, that's not um, that's not a support of, you know, uh, breaking laws or breaking rules. You know, Flare is 
spent a vast amount of money and time making sure that everything we do it fits you know the most aggressive regulatory regimes having said that we 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 you know we're certain that if something is truly decentralized then it is outside the scope of the regulatory regime i suppose one of the benefit of a regulator having a, a foothold here at all is it provides the banking infrastructure the current banking infrastructure the ability to be an on-ramp and off-ramp for fiat so you know if, if you do want to participate in, in a gaming ecosystem you still need to put up some money at some point in order to earn the the NFTs that you get in a game, I guess, or to be able to cash them out. So does having a regulator provide sure. some sort of stamp of approval, say, you know, even if it's at a very, very basic level, that, sure. that helps? So there will be regulated on-ramps and off-ramps. There already are. Yeah. Um, I think the issue with decentralization is once you're in, there's nothing anyone can do mm. if, if you're genuinely decentralized. And that's, that's really been the beauty of Uniswap. It's, mm. you know, most of the AMM market is simply regulatory arbitrage. That's why, that's why the premium is higher than it would be otherwise, hmm. is, is, is my take on it. It may be incorrect. I don't think so. <laughs> um, so how long has Flare Networks been around for? When did you guys uh, We started shop? in August 2017. We incorporated Flare in 2019. Uh, we, we started as a group with a, a sort of forerunner company. Um, but yeah, we've been working since 2017. Our first couple of years were just more or less... Uh, coming up with the Flare consensus protocol, uh, then followed by the, the sort of use case. It's some hardcore technology. Uh, so tell me about who you're working with. Who are your your co-founder and, and your your scientists? Who's the brains behind the operation? Uh, so Sean Rowan's definitely the brains behind the operation. Uh, no, he's my co-founder and CTO, uh, and I met him uh, at UCL. Uh, I also met our chief scientist Nari Usha uh, at UCL. Uh, she's a quantum computing doctorate. And so we, we founded the company, if, essentially. Uh, we've now branched out, taking on a uh, fair few Solidity coders um, and, and infrastructure people. So we have Josh Edwards, who's sort of awesome guy who's in charge of our infrastructure. He used to work for you know, various different government departments in the UK and uh, large brokerage houses. Uh, so he, he sort of make sure that our infrastructure is robust and the validators are well structured and automated. Uh, we have Ilan Doran, uh, who's based in, in, in Israel, and he just came to us as a lead Solidity developer from Kyber Networks. Uh, and we have uh, Stephen Young, who we've just taken on yesterday, uh, who's another Solidity developer. So we're a small team, uh, but we're aggressively expanding. Small but mighty. Well, we'll see, hopefully. And what kind of hurdles have you guys faced in, in building out this project? I mean, what have been some of the biggest obstacles that you've, you've had to overcome? So the first obstacle we've, we sort of overcame, I think, was the belief that innovation around the XRP ledger was not something that was worth funding. And... So as, as most people will know, we are starting Flare as what we call a utility fork uh, of XRP. And that doesn't mean we're forking XRP. We are essentially forking the balances on XRP in order to enable greater utility on it, the XRP ledger. This was the snapshot. This was the snapshot. Okay. And what this does is it means that all the people from XRP have some, some Flare tokens. 
uh, and they will be able to deploy them to essentially enable the moving of XRP to Flare so that it can use smart contracts. Uh, and so that our biggest hurdle was convincing people that that was something that was necessary. Um, thankfully, we did. Why, why choose XRP as the network to take the snapshot of? If it was just for visibility of a balance, for instance, why, why XRP? Well, we are quite big believers in XRP. We, we do think that there is a, a good, uh, you know, great sort of potential for XRP to be a substrate for the movement of currency uh, across the world. XRP and potentially Stellar, there's no reason why there needs to be um, you know, totally different networks for you know the, the one network to rule them all. It's <laughs> it's illogical. That doesn't exist in the in the rest of the world. It's dangerous. Well, it's just it's just a nonsensical idea. It's like oh, well, there's only one credit card provider. It's like centralization of decentralization. It makes no sense to me. So you know, but we're big believers in XRP. Uh, we spoke to the team. We we've worked with them. They invested in us. Um, they. They, they, they're pretty supportive of Flare. Uh, and, and we think, you know, it's a, it's, it's a worthwhile network. And when, when's the token generation event? Because you did the snapshot, and then there's a period of time before FLR yeah. Spark tokens are created and so, distributed. So uh, we're aiming to go live in June. That's mainnet. Yeah. All it's, uh, singing, dancing. Exactly. Um, mainnet with the Oracle. Um, Definitely going to make sure that the F assets don't immediately go live because we want to make sure that the FLR token settles down in volatility in early trading before before it goes live. Um, but yeah, audited mainnet, we are working quite hard to get it for June. Um, you said you've got an audit going on now. Yeah, audit's going on now with trailer bits. Um, okay. So they're one of the sort of great auditors in the space. Yeah. Uh, really like what they're doing. See, we, we work well with them. Cool. I think we need to get them on the show as well, actually. Absolutely. Spoken. Yeah. Good. Yeah. He's Someone write that down. Great guy. Trailer bits. Okay. Cool. Um, what do you see happening with FLR in the first sort of 12 months and then 24 months, 36 months? How, do, how does Flare evolve or FLR? So one of the things we're literally never allowed to say uh, <laughs> is our roadmap. Right, okay. Um, like any blockchain company, foundation, whatever, that tells you what they're going to be doing after, you know, is basically creating an expectation that, um, that you will work on behalf of the token. And that's the definition of a security. Mm. Um, and so we, we absolutely, as a rule, will not be saying what we are building and delivering until it's delivered. Uh, and we will be doing that as part of the community, not as some central organization that just does what it wants. Um, and so that's a really important element. However, having said that, I can give you some broad strokes of where I think uh, Flare might be used. So one of the things that has really surprised us has been the speed with which people have decided to adopt Flare and decided to build on it. We have had a testnet up for uh, over a year and we've already got you know five or six applications building before we've launched, before we've launched the network, before you know before we've even had an audit. You know, we've got Flare Finance, we've got Trustline, we've got Gala, uh, we have a property company coming, uh, you know, several other applications. 
which I, we haven't announced, um, which are really, really exciting. Um, I, I think you're aware of them, in fact. Um, <laughs> no comment. Yeah. But uh, so there's some really exciting stuff happening. And so what do I see the evolution as? I, I hope we just gain, uh, you know, more and more traction and people, you know, build their DeFi stuff and their NFT stuff on Flare. It's pretty easy to do so as it's already built on Ethereum and it's, it's quite quick to just swap over. Uh, again, people have always asked us, is Flare an Ethereum killer? No, no, it's not. It's a bringer of the other 65% of value to play. Like Ethereum will do what it does and it does it well sometimes and there's high gas fees. Uh, but we have no intention of replacing Ethereum. That's illogical. And everyone that has tried has failed. So uh, all we're trying to do is you know, bring what Ethereum has achieved, which is unbelievably awesome, to to the other groups of people. Because like we call this value, but actually it's just groups of people. They're users. Mm, you've They're, mentioned community a few yeah. times, and obviously that's a big part of it. So, I mean, how do you grow the the Flare community, especially before it's even launched, right? Like, so where's the attraction for people? You know, it's Flare community is huge already, which is really, you know encouraging to us as, as developers um, because you know you see a lot of these chains launch and I won't mention names but they have relatively small communities on crypto Twitter which let's face it is is the really important thing in our industry uh, it's the measure of success in our industry to be honest with you um, and you know and so we're, we're really chuffed how, how we're doing that but in terms of community outreach, obviously we gained a lot of community through through you know the airdrop to XRP, but it's gone way beyond that. So the airdrop to XRP generated, we estimate close to a million people who will in some way participate on Flare. Wow. Um, so there's 100,000 wallets that have registered and 107 exchanges, uh, if not more. And each of those exchanges has thousands of customers of XRP customers. So uh, that's our sort of estimate. But in terms of engagement with others, I think this is one of the key innovations because we've been able to set this up from scratch and we're not just building a bridge to an existing network. We have a, a pool of Flare available for minting your asset, let's say it's Litecoin, onto the Flare network. And so you get a reward for minting your assets onto Flare, for bringing liquidity onto Flare, as any DeFi product product really gives you a reward. Mm. But that Flare then lets you turn that background and become an agent in the system and earn the mining reward, which is our Oracle system. So we think that that's a great incentive. The second way is by making Flare actually really just a superset of the underlying networks. So the great thing about our consensus algorithm federated by Xantine Agreement, is that it's, it's quite flexible in how it can be represented. And, and we represent it as a UNL, a unique node list, which is uh, a, a, a setting of federated by Xantine Agreement. And what that means is that each underlying network, let's call it XRP, let's call it you know, Stellar, let's call it Litecoin, let's call it whichever one is the underlying, each of their validators can participate up to a certain limit, and that limits 25% of the network power. Uh, their validator sets become, if they wish, the validator sets on Flare. 
And so Flair isn't its own thing. Flair is actually a composite of all of the networks it's trying to bring smart contracts to. And we, we hope that that's uh, something that should be kind of attractive to the underlying networks because it's giving them the power on this network that is also hopefully adding utility to them. Where did that idea come from? One of the real issues in federated Byzantine agreement and UNL style consensus algorithms is how do we, how does the network, whatever you define as the network, how does the network come to consensus over the structure? Stellar is a completely free uh, you know, environment where any node can choose to trust any other node. And that's the basis of FBA. But ultimately, it does have a tendency because that is quite a complex thing to analyze to, to achieve something called the quorum intersection property. So the quorum <laughs> intersection property is what allows the network to have the guarantees that, um, that, that we all expect from blockchains. Um, so you know, safety and liveness and things like that. Um, so the quorum intersection property is basically the basis of FBA. And this is that every node must uh, be connected to the network in somehow they must share uh, a node. Otherwise, the, the network has diverged. Uh, and this is a really hard thing to achieve. And it leads to a can lead, if not well structured, to a brittleness in the network where you know, we've seen these events happen. Uh, and then the other end of that spectrum is that people, you might say, okay, we don't want this brittleness. We don't want this level of flexibility. So we're going to be quite prescriptive. We're going to have a small set of nodes and it's going to be chosen by one entity. Uh, and this leads to accusations, unfounded potentially, of uh, centralization. And so whilst the underlying FBA technology is awesome, uh, the problem exists of how to select the validators. We do this as a, you know, a deterministic manner by virtue of the fact we have these underlying F assets. And so this gives us the automatic definition, really, of what the network UNL or FBA structure should be. Uh, and so it just seemed like the most elegant solution. Yeah, I think it absolutely is. Um, this has been a, a truly fascinating and educational discussion. Um, before we wrap up, we have a, a short list of questions we sort of ask everyone, if you wouldn't mind entertaining me and running through them quickly. Cool. So the first one is quite broad. It's just where do you see the crypto industry writ large in one year versus 10 years? One year, similar to now, probably a bit of regulatory struggle given the threat that crypto poses to existing systems and the pressure that everything's under. 10 years, uh, I think it'll be endemic. Uh, and and a, and a core way that we that we transfer value and most importantly, and I think this is missed so often is that all that crypto is is a group of people who have come together to decide that this is a way that they would wish to conduct business and uh, transact data and you know do various things with each other and I, that's that's an unstoppable force ultimately. So ten years, I think, endemic. If you could change one thing about our industry, what would it be? Hype. Is there one piece of technology in your personal life that you cannot live without? Uh, anything that plays music. Uh, it's, Do you have any yeah. preferences? Is it? Is it? I, mean, a, I use my phone all the of time. Of course. But, uh, you know, obviously, 
if one wished to be a total purist, you know, you can go nuts with the setup, right? Um, a previous guest of ours was quite passionate about vinyl. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think lots of people are. Um, I've seen people who've spent the equivalent of, you know, a s- small submarine on on their setup. You know, so uh, it's a lot of FLR. Uh, yeah, 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 it's a hell of a lot of FLR, <laughs> considering it doesn't exist. But um, yet, but uh, yeah, I think that's a uh, uh, music is just it's it's unbelievably essential. What do you do on your weekend if you're not working? Uh, I don't know. It's been a long time. Um, so uh, usually I, I see my son. I spend time with my fiance. Um, I try to read. I try to. I usually try to add at least one thing that I feel is missing per year, mm. like a, a skill or a subject that I haven't yet covered. Um, what was the last skill or subject you picked up well i've been trying to learn chess and i'm mm. not 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 yet succeeding wonderfully um it's not something i i played from an early age but it's uh did you watch that netflix what was it uh the queen's oh, gambit queen's, i haven't actually it's worth it's, no, it's a I good haven't. binge oh yeah. really yeah, i'll endorse it yeah oh, okay, okay. <laughs> no, I, i've been catching up on uh narcos <laughs> good um that actually leads to our next question is there is there a movie that you could watch over and over again and never get tired of Two, Life Aquatic and the Royal Tannenbaums. Ooh, so a Wes Anderson fan. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Big. Very good. Um, do you have any catchphrases you live by or mottos? Okay, it's a weird one. Um, some chicken, some neck. <laughs> that won't mean anything in the abstract. Some context then. Put it context. Can you so, use it in a sentence, please? Yeah, so Winston Churchill, I think 1942, is delivering a speech to the parliament in Canada, having just been to see, I think it must have been Roosevelt. And he talks about what the French generals had said when the British army had pulled out of France. And... and the French general's opinion of the likelihood of the Allies going back in. And the French generals were very dismissive of the idea that the Allies would be able to liberate Europe. Mm. Uh, And they said that the Brits or the Britain would get its neck wrung like a chicken. And Churchill stood in um, in the parliament in Canada and said, you know, having, I think, just just either organized the D-Day uh, landings or I can't remember the timeline, but said, you know, some chicken, some neck. Uh, and that really, um, all that means to me really is just that people will often underestimate people. And Churchill was underestimated throughout his life. Um, and he showed them, really showed them. And so that's why I think it's a, a great sort of motto. I like that. Very good. Historical context as well. Um, who should we all follow on Twitter? And you're allowed to shamelessly plug yourself here, but if you no, can g- give us someone else no. as well, that'd be good. It's so cringe, but I, 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 like, I like Taleb. Okay. Like, he's wonderful. Um, who else? I don't know. You know, I don't follow many people on Twitter myself. Uh, really, we're, we're going to check that after. See who you. Yeah. No, I think Flair does, but I don't think I do personally. Um, well, Taron Chitra. 
in our space, probably one of the greatest thinkers. Okay, good. Uh, what was the last thing that surprised you? The willingness of our population to allow the complete abrogation of their human rights <laughs> under COVID lockdown. So to me, it's really quite an extreme reaction that we've had, uh, having essentially closed the economy down. I don't think we had much debate over it. Um, I think there could have been a better you know, way of selling it to the population such that we could have agreed to it. I'm not sure anyone has agreed to the economic ramifications that come from it. So therefore, there are a willingness to accept it almost immediately uh, with very little you know, uh, contrary opinion has to me been utterly shocking mm. uh, and indicative of potentially the future. Who should be the next guest we have on the show? Hmm. Dan Guido from Trail of Bits. <laughs> Very good. You, you'll have to introduce us. Sure. Um, if you somehow managed to meet Satoshi Nakamoto, but you only got to ask him one question, or her one question, or them, what would it be? And you can't ask for the private key. No. Um, to ask him why he hasn't touched it. I mean... It's the sheer willpower is it's phenomenal. It's, I mean, either he had another mining wallet and has a corresponding position, <laughs> or, you know, well, there's a third option, but that's the sad option. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's, if he's alive, it's a, hell of a, it's a hell of a thing to do, to leave 30 billion, 40 billion on the table. Um, Maybe he's playing the really long game. It's a really long <laughs> game, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Hugo, that's all the time we have. Thank you very much for coming in. It's been My great. Pleasure. Cheers. My pleasure. Thank you. To our listeners, if you haven't already seen Hugo's show and tell video, please go to our YouTube page or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ or find it on the website, copper.co forward slash insights. There you can sign up for our newsletter, which goes out every Monday morning and includes links to all the week's top stories, as well as any updates from the wider team here at Copper. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please make sure to give us a good review in whichever streaming platform you're using. And of course, subscribe. If you want to get in touch, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK, or you can email me directly, tyler.kenya at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you know someone who should be, please give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. The show's only made possible because of the technical and creative wizardry of Ben Silvertown and Tally Spear, with support from Maley Mountfort and Eva Lila. New episodes come out fortnightly-ish. And in the meantime, stay safe.